realfaith.org.au I thought alcohol was going to make my life better. I went from drinking one night a week to two nights a week, three nights a week, and I started having blackouts. I attracted the worst relationships with basically people that I would not be in a relationship with today, but I didn't think I deserved any better. Whoever loved me, basically, I thought, well, at least somebody does. This is a warning for parents that due to the adult themes being discussed in today's program, it is not recommended for young listeners. Welcome to Real Faith, conversations about the impact faith has on our lives and the challenges we go through, helping us today and giving us hope for tomorrow. That's real people, real life and real faith. Carrie Atherton has faced more than her fair share of physical and emotional trauma, but her faith in God has helped her to heal, and she is now helping others going through similar challenges. The organization that she started is called Stories of Hope Australia, and she's here to share her story with us today. Carrie Atherton, welcome to the program. Hi, Eric. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you with us, and let's go back all the way to your childhood. Unfortunately, you grew up in an alcoholic family. Let us know what that was like. Um, it was an interesting dynamic at home. My dad had witnessed the alcoholism of both his parents and his mum died at around 49 from an accidental overdose mm. and his dad was also an alcoholic who died in his early 50s from alcoholism. So my dad recognised the signs in his life early on and he stopped drinking at the age of 23 uh, he went to Alcoholics Anonymous and I'd never seen him drink. So he was sober from before I was born. But he mm -hmm. met my mum when he was 30 and my mum was 20 and she was an alcoholic. And she drank till I was 12 years old. Mm -hmm. So she didn't drink through the day. By day she appeared to really have it all together. She made our clothes, made all our lunches. She was an intellectual genius. She was always dressed up to the nines. My dad was a jazz musician by night and a salesman by day. So we had a very kind of a vibrant upbringing. But there was always this sense of deep insecurity in my life and this real sense of feeling that I was different to everyone else. Mm -hmm. And I... I felt quite alone. My mum was very emotionally disconnected. Uh, she suffered from a lot of depression and had suicidal thoughts. And so she would drink mainly at night. And I'd often ask my dad, where's mum? And he'd say, oh, she's, she's not feeling well. She's asleep. And I know now that, you know, at those times she was drinking the pain of life and mm. the days away. So when I was 12, my mum actually stopped drinking. Oh, wow. So did that improve things? Uh, it definitely did give us more of a stable home life. My dad has told me as an adult that when he used to go off to work those days that he had a terrible fear that when he came home none of us would be there because of my mum's depression. Hmm. But I had gone through a, a couple of really traumatic experiences. The first one was when I was seven and I went into the laundry one day to ask my mum for 
my favourite dress and I heard her screaming and saw her attached to the back of a washing machine and she was being electrocuted. Oh, wow. And that was just such a frightening experience for me because she was taken to hospital and we thought that she died and that we were never going to see her again. Mm -hmm. And she came back the next day with two huge scars up both wrists. But at that time, a fear of um, death and losing people close to me entered my life. Mm. And so I, I had this real deeper sense of insecurity, I guess, than what I ever had before. And then when I was nine on holidays, my dad and mum took us away and it was the day before my brother's birthday and I was sexually molested by a pedophile. And oh, wow. Sorry to hear that. That was the son of the owner of the holiday cabins we were staying at. And in those days, you didn't give your credit card details. You just gave your name, address and phone number in case you did a runner. So when my mum and dad took me to the police, the holiday cabin owners knew that we'd been to the police and I went home the next day knowing that this guy had my address, knew where I lived. Oh, wow. And that was the start of my life really spiralling terribly downwards. So you're living in fear then? Yeah, terrible fear. Hmm. I I would not open a window at night. Um, I'd swelter through the summer heat every time I came home from anywhere. I would check under my bed about 10 times in my cupboards Hmm. and... We lived on a four-lane highway, so I felt so unsafe. And then when I was 10 years old, I was also being bullied at school Mm -hmm. at the same time. And when I was 10 years old, I had a breakdown. Wow, so much to handle at such a young age. Yeah, I know. And my parents were going to a psychiatrist and they took me along to the family psychiatrist who put me on medication. Mm-hmm. So at 10, I was on antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication. And I started to feel a little bit better, but I soon became very aware that these pills took all the pain of life away, that they numbed me out and... I started to become addicted to the prescription medication Hmm. and I would very um, often lose my pills or so I'd tell my parents and they'd go and get me more pills. And so my life went on like that for about three years until I was 15 and I picked up my first drink of alcohol. So you were actually taking more pills than you were supposed to because it it just felt good. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really didn't have any idea how I could do life without the tablets. I was I was that much of an emotional wreck. And I have asked my mum about that because I was like, I was so young, mum, you know, mm. to be put on medication. And yeah. she actually made the comment that they really feared that if I hadn't have been put on the medication that I would have killed myself. And then, as you're just about to say, alcohol entered your life at 15 years old. Yes, at 15. I knew that it was bad because I'd been going to Alateen meetings from the age of 12. And I must say that that was an incredible uh, support network for me at that early age because I'd always felt so different to everyone else. But Mm -hmm. in this room, I was hearing other kids talk about the types of things that I felt inside. Mm -hmm. What kind of meetings were you going to? um, Alateen. So it was a program for children of alcoholics. Oh, okay. And I would hear other kids talk about the terrible shame that they felt um, covering up for their parents' alcoholism. 
often the kids there too felt like they didn't fit in and they were afraid to have kids home for sleepovers. Mm. And so there was a lot of hiding secrets and a lot of shame that I carried from Mm -hmm. an early age, especially after being sexually molested. I had Mm -hmm. a terrible amount of shame set in that day. And I had asked myself like over and over again as these years went on leading up to my alcoholism, what's wrong with me? You know, there must be something wrong with me. I felt so different. And I despised myself so much by the time I even started drinking that I'd smash my head into the walls at home in my bedroom because I just hated myself so much. And I Mm. used to say to God, why did you even make me to be born? And then I picked up my first drink at the age of 15 and for the first time in my life, I felt normal. It's like it totally coloured me in. So that kind of set you off. You, you just wanted more of that then, huh? Oh, yeah. I actually thought this was the answer for my life. Hmm. Uh, I was very lonely because I was bullied at school, as I said. I'd been, I was very overweight. I was the school dork. I was mocked at school. I spent most of my lunch times from year seven to the end of year nine in the library Mm -hmm. and I was in the library because I was hiding from the fact I didn't want anybody to see the fact that I had no friends Mm. and that deep fear of humiliation and shame of being the girl that was alone that nobody wanted was too much for me so I'd hide in the library at lunch times but then once I found alcohol um, I, I got a boyfriend for the first time I lost weight and when I went back to school for year 10, all of a sudden it was as like I was all I was in the in crowd and I was accepted then because I had the external appearance of what was acceptable. And I guess I didn't have that victim sticker on my head that I'd probably carried for so long because I was obliviating myself, hmm. you know. Yeah, so I was living just in this false lull, this false sense of security. But it's interesting that, in your mind, alcohol was the answer, and it seemed to be, at least for a short while. Yeah, well, things actually got worse because I thought alcohol was going to make my life better. Mm -hmm. Uh, I ended up drinking – I went from drinking one night a week to two nights a week, three nights a week, and I started having blackouts. I attracted the worst relationships with basically people that – I would not be in a relationship with today, but I didn't think I deserved any better. So I, mm. whoever loved me, basically, I thought, well, at least somebody does. Hmm. And at one stage I was going out with the brother of the head of a well-known bikey gang in Sydney. And then at 17 I was actually raped when I was out on a date and that had a devastating effect on my life, um, on my confidence I carried a terrible amount of shame for what Mm. happened that night, even though it had nothing to do with me and wasn't my fault. But it just, along with that and the constant bullying, it just reinforced in my mind the lie that set in when I was nine years old that I was damaged goods Mm. and that I didn't deserve um, to be loved, that I didn't deserve to be treated well by anyone and I can't even begin to describe how much I despised myself. I was suicidal um, for about 16 to 18 years old. Um, I'd lie there at night thinking, I hope I don't wake up in the morning, and my life just felt totally hopeless. 
because I soon realised that alcohol was losing its effect Mm -hmm. and the one best friend that I thought I had had turned its back on me. Our guest today is Carrie Atherton, and at this point in her story, it is looking very bleak and hopeless, so it's hard to believe that she actually goes on to become the founder of an organization called Stories of Hope. We'll find out how it all turns around when we return right here on Real Faith. Looking for resources to grow your faith? Check out Vision Christian Store with books, movies, audio CDs, DVD resources and more. Plus, free delivery on orders over $50. See visionstore.org.au. You're listening to Real Faith, conversations with real people about how God works in their lives. If you want to know more about integrating faith into your life, our website is realfaith.org.au. Just go to the website and you'll find helpful articles about the impact faith can have on your life. Once again, that's realfaith.org.au. Welcome back. I'm Eric Scadabo, and our guest today is Carrie Atherton. Before the break, we heard how she was at a very low point in her life and full of despair. Now we're going to find out how it all turns around. I had a faith, you know, I cried out to God a few times, but I think the overwhelming shame that I felt in my life, the things that I'd done and things that had mm-hmm. happened to me, uh, I felt very far away from God mm-hmm. and... So I guess I just sought my solace in relationships and thought that if I had a relationship, that meant that I was worthwhile, but I just kept attracting abusive people into my life. Hmm. And then at 18, I had just come back from a holiday with yet another abusive boyfriend who I now know is has fully blown alcoholic. Mm-hmm. But we'd been away at Queensland on a holiday and I lived in Sydney and he'd actually punched me at the caravan park we were staying at in front of children and families Mm. and he was quite abusive and Mm. I came back from that holiday totally hopeless. And I I remember the day like it was yesterday, I woke up and I thought I I can't go on anymore. I've, I've totally lost hope. And I planned to commit suicide that day. And just as I was going to do it, I heard this voice say, don't do it. If you hang on a bit longer, you'll find happiness one day. And I have always believed that that was the voice of God Mm -hmm. intervening. Mm -hmm. And instead I rang Alcoholics Anonymous and I went along to AA that night and that was 37 years ago. Wow. I haven't had a drink since then. Fantastic. And I literally knew that day that it was sobriety or death. And I realized the voice of God giving me that chance, you know, to make that choice. And I chose life. Uh, But what I also did, though, uh, that week was step into another very abusive relationship. And I lasted in that relationship for three years. And I prayed many, many, many times in that time. And sitting in four or five AA meetings a week, Uh, we talked about the higher power and God all the time. So Mm -hmm. my faith was really starting to increase again and I was starting to let go of all that shame, you know, for the things that had happened Mm -hmm. in my journey of alcoholism and pill addiction. Mm -hmm. 
But I, I was trapped in this relationship um, and he smashed everything I owned. He used to scream abuse at me constantly. And when I came out of that, I prayed for a way out of that relationship and three years later I got out. And I had six months where I just really felt like God was saying to me, you need some time to just get to know Kerry because I had no idea who I was. Mm. And then six months later... I met my hubby out at a nightclub. I was one and a half hours from home and he was out on his own that night and he was, as he would say, um, the term a backslidden Christian. He'd been brought up as a Christian but had kind of was having a break or had walked away from God. Mm-hmm. And I was out with my girlfriend and three of her friends and I, it was a night where I thought I'm just out for a fun night tonight. I'm not intending to meet anyone at all and... An hour and a half from home, I went into the ladies and when I came back out, he was sitting in my seat and we had five minutes to talk before my friends um, said we're, we're leaving this place and going to another bar. And there was three things that we had in common in that five minutes. One was that he was a real family-orientated person. Mm-hmm. The second was that he was a musician and I was also a musician. I'm a piano player and a singer. Oh, okay. And I can't remember the third thing, but I just knew that I had to ask him if he wanted to join us. And he was the kind of guy that I always wanted to end up with, but I never felt like I deserved. Mm. And we've been married now for 32 years. Wow, fantastic. And and, and in a good, healthy relationship. Yes. (laughs) And how did you eventually put your faith in Jesus? Well, I was on my honeymoon Mm. and about – I was – um, we'd been together two years when I got married, mm-hmm. but a year into our relationship, not long after we got engaged, I was just fueled with jealousy and anger and I was so emotionally damaged as a result of the relationship I'd been in before that and I actually was down on all fours one night on my hands and knees, like literally on the ground, mm. and I was sobbing my heart out and I said to God, this is a bit emotional for me. <laughs> mm. I said to God, if you heal me from all this emotional pain and take away this emotional trauma from my life, then I will go back to church. And I didn't know what that looked like um, because I hadn't been to church, you know, for a very long time. Mm-hmm. But I just knew that I needed God more than ever then. And we got married um, about eight months after that. And so I felt like the Holy Spirit had been drawing me mm-hmm. in that time. Mm-hmm. My my hubby had been playing Christian music. He suggested that we started to open the Bible. And I just really felt this drawing towards God and back towards, you know, a strong faith again. Mm-hmm. And so on our honeymoon, I went to an AA meeting and I met a girl who had lost her fiancé in a car accident. And... She said to me, what are you doing in the morning? And I said, well, I'm actually on my honeymoon, so I'm probably spending the morning with my hubby going out for (laughs) breakfast or something. I I would hope so, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, oh, why? And she said, I was going to invite you to church. And I thought, that's so strange. Hmm. And I I had this, this such a strong knowledge in my heart that I really had felt like something was really calling me back. And I'm like... Yes, I'd love to come to church. You know, I've been feeling that sense of coming back to God. And I went to the church with her in the morning and I told my hubby and he said, well, I won't be coming. And I said, well, that's fine. I'm going anyway. 
And not the not pastor, starting off the greatest on the honeymoon there. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So it's such a strange story, but such a God story. Hey, God works and in mysterious the, ways. <laughs> and the pastor that morning said, "Is your life out of control?" Is your life a mess? Do you feel like you can't control your life? And I put my hand up and I'm like, yes. And then I looked around and there was nobody else with their hand up. Mm. And I realized, oh, that was a rhetorical question. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, oh, well, that's how I feel. So I'm sticking with it. You're just being honest. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I really felt that day was pivotal. Wow. For the change in my life. And I went back to you know, church when I got back home and my hubby came back about a couple of months later. Oh, fantastic. So the two of you have been walking together with the Lord for the past 30 some years. Yeah, the past 32 years. Well, unfortunately, we're quickly running out of time, but we want to kind of fast forward to how you are now helping other people who have gone through similar challenges like yours. Yes. Well, a lot's happened in the last... um 14 years since I moved to the Sunshine Coast and it's been a very rewarding but a very, very hard journey. I've Mm -hmm. lost about eight members of my family, including both my parents, in the last eight years and I've Mm. I've gone through a tremendous amount of grief. Uh, Mm -hmm. About two and a half years ago, my dad died and he was my number one champion supporter in life Mm -hmm. and my hubby became really, really sick and I literally hit rock bottom. I pulled out of everything that I was involved in and I literally locked myself away for about eight weeks. And I just spent a lot of time with God and a lot of soul searching and I forced myself out to a women's conference because I knew that I just couldn't – I knew these feelings, I'd had them before, but I I knew that I didn't want to give up Mm -hmm. and I did feel very, very hopeless. And I forced myself out to this women's conference where I heard – three people telling their stories of coming out the other side of utmost pain and devastating circumstances. I cried the entire way through, but something rose up in me that day and I thought, I haven't gone through all the pain in my life for nothing and I'm determined to use my pain for others' gain. Hmm. And since I was 18 and got sober, I had always determined to live for others and help other people not end up where I ended up, but it was just so much stronger like this time and I just felt like it propelled me into this greatest purpose of what I've started two years ago actually Mm. and I invited my friends along to come and hear my vision of how I wanted to share my stories of overcoming with triumph really hard times in my life and I wanted to use all the people that I knew as well who had overcome hard times to show everybody in life that no matter what you're going through, you're never alone Mm -hmm. and that there is always light at the end of the tunnel and there's always hope. And 30 people turned up that night. Wow. And it was such an emotional moment for me because I realised right there and then that all my life I felt like I had no purpose Mm -hmm. and I realised as I was standing there before those people that I have a purpose. I've finally discovered my lifelong purpose and I've been running with this (laughs) ever since. We've reached thousands and thousands of people. The stories of hope message Mm -hmm. has reached people all over the world. That's fantastic. So the basic idea is having two speakers share their stories of overcoming challenges in their lives and the whole purpose is so that maybe if somebody's listening and feeling desperate and in despair like you were at one point in your life that you're giving them 
some hope and that you're encouraging them and giving them a path forward. Yeah. There's nothing like listening to the story of someone who's come out the other side Mm -hmm. and their lived experience because the listener knows that person really understands how I feel. Mm -hmm. Yep. And my loneliness that I experienced through my entire life, loneliness and suicide prevention have been my two greatest drivers for Mm -hmm. what I do because Mm -hmm. my desire is that nobody in this world ever has to feel like they have to do life alone. So you're providing hope? Yeah, and that nobody ever gets to that point where I was about to take my life and realise that, you know, there's no hope because there is hope. Mm -hmm. I'm living proof and all the people that get up every month at my event are miracles in skin. They're living proof Mm -hmm. that there is light at the end of the tunnel and that there definitely is hope. Wow, so you're putting on these events on a regular basis? Yep, I do them monthly and they're free for the community and I also run men's mental health nights and I also have a plan to do um, women's only nights targeting sensitive topics like sexual assault and Mm. things that women may not feel safe talking about in front of men Mm -hmm. and my desire is to take these events all around Australia with the team of speakers that have inspired me so much over the journey as well. Wow, that's fantastic that the Lord is using you. And of course, I don't know if you've ever heard this phrase that he's turning your mess into a message. And uh, (laughs) so you've gone through so much pain and trauma, unfortunately, but the Lord is using you to help others and give them a message of hope through your organization called Stories of Hope. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. Thank you for having me, Eric. It was a real privilege. Our guest today has been Carrie Atherton. She is the founder of the Stories of Hope Australia organization. And if you want to find out more about Carrie Atherton and Stories of Hope, you can go to her website, empowerlifesolutions.com.au. That's empowerlifesolutions.com.au. been listening to real faith and if you have any questions or comments you can send us a message through our website realfaith.org.au that's realfaith.org.au thanks for listening and we invite you to join us again next time for more conversations about god working in the lives of people who put their faith and trust in him that's real people real life and real faith This program is a production of Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, see vision.org.au.